Our Bible reading today comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through to 17. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Thanks for reading, Robin. Good morning, everyone. My name's Carl. I'm the senior pastor here at Trinity Church Only. Thank you for joining us in the new year. It's great to be with you. If you haven't got a leaflet with you this morning, it might be good to have one of those. There's a bit of an outline in the leaflet that will help you follow along with what we're going to look at today. We're working our way through Mark chapter 12 at the moment. Last week, it was Hendre and Jess's last week with us, and Hendre spoke on the first part of Mark chapter 12. You've got me this week and next week, and then after that, a real treat, because Jason Lim is going to be opening the last part of Mark chapter 12 with us last last weekend in January. Well, it's holiday time at the moment, isn't it? I wonder if you've been down to the beach or maybe been away camping. Perhaps some of you have been to CE camp over the last few weeks, or you, maybe you've got a CE camper away in your, from your household at the moment. I wonder if on your camping trips you've ever been down to Narracourt and to the set of caves that are there. You can uh, go on a tour and you can go down the walkways of the caves at Narracourt. There is, I believe, a more adventurous caving expedition you can do at Narracourt, kind of a bit like uh, what's on the screen behind me. This is my, my worst nightmare. I don't know about you. Um, I'm quite happy to go into the Narracourt Caves and kind of walk along the, the well-lit paths and those sorts of things, but squirming through tiny gaps underground with the potential of being trapped is probably my worst nightmare. The guy in this photo seems to be smiling, but for me, that would be terrible. I wonder this morning if you've ever been somewhere where you've felt trapped I suspect by looking at you that few of you have been trapped in a cave, uh, like this guy in the photo behind me. But there are other ways, aren't there, in which we might get tricked or trapped in our world today. And perhaps the most obvious of those is with scammers or with fraudsters. It feels like it's becoming more and more difficult, isn't it, to pick when you might be being scammed. Last summer, I went with my family to Melbourne and we uh, wanted to drive on some of the road tolls. So we, we did that for a few days. And then after doing that, I thought, I better go online and buy the, the, the purchase the pass to be able to do that. So I jumped online and uh, paid uh, what I thought was the right amount of money through a website by a company name called Linked. Now, it was a bit of a tricky website to understand. I wasn't sure if I'd done everything right, but I thought, well, I've at least put my details in there and they'll charge me what they want to charge me. About three weeks later, I got an SMS. I'm still actually getting them, but the first one I received was about three weeks after this. This is what it looks like. Linked, it says on the screen, your payment is overdue. 
Now, given the timing, I just used this website, I thought this was legitimate at first glance. I just used the, the toll road, and I, maybe I hadn't finalised my account. I was so close to opening that uh, SMS before I realised that it was a scam or a trick. Now, it might not be linked, it might be something else for you. There are lots of ways in which we can get tricked and trapped in our world today. And it seems like this is just more and more common in our world today, particularly with things like Medibank being hacked and Optus and all those sorts of things. We feel like we are susceptible to this. And I'm asking you and getting you to think through these sorts of things because in this section of Mark's Gospel, there are repeated attempts to try and trick or trap Jesus. We saw that in the passage that Robin just read to us. But if you look back in your Bibles, if you've got them open, if you look back to chapter 11, verses 27 to 33, you'll see yet another time in which Jesus is trying to be tricked or trapped. That time it's to do with baptism. It's not scammers who are trying to trick Jesus, but religious leaders. And the question I think we should be asking as we read this is why? Why are they looking to trap or to trick Jesus? And to find the answer to that, we need to look back to last week. If you remember last week, if you were here, Jesus had told a parable about how God's prophets had been rejected in the past and how even God's own son would be rejected. And and the implications for that were, were shocking. Come back and look at verse 12 of chapter 12, the verse just before the ones that Robin read to us. It says this, Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, And the elders looked for a way to arrest him, that's Jesus, because they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. And they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. I reckon this section of Mark's Gospel, the bit that we're reading at the moment, chapter 12, what we're seeing here is we're seeing God's King teaching about salvation and about judgment. And he's saying to the religious leaders who seem so sure of themselves, you've got it wrong. Salvation's not found by keeping the rules. And the atmosphere is like charged at the moment. Jesus is, he's turning things upside down. In fact, he's quite literally doing that. He's just been in the temple and he'd overturned the moneylenders' tables. He's stirring things up and yet his, his teaching is amazing and the crowds are loving him. But he's challenging the religious leaders. And so that kind of stuck. See, here's a man who seems to be speaking against them, and yet he's loved by the crowds. And so what do they do? Well, they decide to try and trap him or trick him. And so in Mark chapter 12, verse 13, the trap is set. I'm going to look at it. It's up to the next point in your outline if you're following along, starting at verse 13 of Mark chapter 12. Let me read to you. It says, they sent, who's the they? Well, that's the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders from the previous verse. They sent a delegation made up of Pharisees and Herodians. Now, you've probably heard of the Pharisees before. They come up quite a bit in the Gospels. The Herodians come up less often. It seems like they normally uh, hang out together, the Pharisees and the Herodians. And both of these groups have a a common desire, it seems here, for, for Jewish political independence. In other words, freedom from Rome and here they're united aren't they in their hostility towards Jesus and the phrase that I think captures so well that hostility is there at the end of verse 13 they came to catch him 
in his words. There's no question here, this is a trap that's being set, isn't it? In verse 14, it's a bit like, well, they bait the trap with some honey, nice words of, of affirmation and flattery. Let me we'll read these words from verse 14. They came to him, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. If you're looking to trick or trap someone in the next few days, here's a tip for you. Not sure it's the intention of the passage, but here's the tip. You might like to say some nice things about them first. Put the honey on first, and then you hit them with the trick question. It comes like a a punch here, doesn't it? Bam. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we? And with that, the trap is set. Now, we're not Jews living in first century Palestine today, so I think we might miss some of the nuance in this question. Let me explain, uh, trying to help us get our heads around the trick question here. Now, of course, even today, no one likes paying tax, do we? We generally don't like paying tax. And even if we can see why we should pay the tax, most of us would prefer not to pay it. But this tax is the imperial tax, the tax that the Jewish people paid to Rome. Rome being the one who controlled the land in which they lived, Rome, in a way, being their kind of enemies. And so it was a hated tax, and there had been revolts and riots due to this tax. And so really, that makes this question less about tax law and more about politics. In other words, the Pharisees and the Herodians are asking Jesus, are you for Rome or are you for Israel? Perhaps we could even take the question one step further because we know from the Jewish historian Josephus that the people who were pro-Israel, that is those who were against the Roman occupation, had a motto which was, no king but God. And in a way then, paying tax to Caesar meant recognising him as the commanding king. It meant paying tax could even be kind of an act of blasphemy. So on the one hand, if Jesus said to the onlookers, well, well, don't pay the tax then, he'd be at risk from the Roman rulers. And his attackers, the Pharisees and the Herodians, would pretty much just be able to hand him over to the authorities. So here's the trap to say, yes, pay the tax, and it looks like Jesus will be recognising the kingly rule of Rome. It looks like he's sold out. But to say no, then he risks, doesn't he, getting into trouble with the Roman authorities. We call this, I think, a catch-22 situation. There's no easy way out. The trap has been set. I wonder what you would do if you were in Jesus' shoes. What does he do? Well, he doesn't bluff or stall or try and slip away. He doesn't try and change the topic. Instead, he does something that helps us to see his wisdom. He asks for a denarius. We're on to the third point in our outline now, the trap being disarmed. And what I really want you to see here is the wisdom of Jesus. I want you to see his mastery of the situation. I want you to see his mastery over politics and religion and the Jewish law and his mastery of people's hearts. But to see that clearly, I think we need a little bit more information. I've got a picture of a denarius 
on the screen behind me. This is the coin that Jesus asked for. It's also sometimes called a, a tribute coin because this coin was used specifically to pay this tax. Now, if we're to see the wisdom and the mastery of Jesus here, and we need to think like a first century Jewish person for a moment. And the picture of the coin will help. If you can't see it very well on the screen, there's also a printout in your leaflet. There are two pictures. It's the same coin, just different sides. On the right-hand side of the coin are the words Pontiff Maxim, which I think means high priest. And on the other side of the coin, uh, on the left-hand picture, there's a, an image of the Emperor Tiberius. And words which written in Latin mean son of the divine Augustus. In other words, the coin here is trying to point towards the divinity of Caesar. It's implying his godlike status. Why does this matter? Well, the commentators suggest that what Jesus is doing here with the coin itself is showing in a way that the coin violates the second commandment. How does that work? Well, come with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. It's on the screen behind me if you don't want to turn in your Bible. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, it says this, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love and keep my commands. Let's try and put all this together. And I want you to see then that the denarius coin, this particular coin, is, it's kind of almost like an idolatrous coin. For the coin has an image that they're describing as being divine. And so for Jewish people, in a way, this, this coin should have been kind of offensive. For a loyal, patriotic Jew, you shouldn't want anything to do with this pagan, offensive money. Because it violates the second commandment. Now you might be thinking, how do they go about doing business then? Well, well, for most of their everyday tasks, the Jews used ordinary copper coins that apparently were minted locally that didn't have this image on them. But the denarius, this particular coin, is different. This was the coin required to pay the Roman tribute tax. I presume it could have been used for other things as well, but what's so important here is to see this as offensive, this coin. Who's carrying the coin? Well, not Jesus. It sort of has to be gone found, doesn't it? And the end result of this is I want you to see clearly here how Jesus has so wisely turned the tables. That's what he goes on to say in verse 17. Give back to Caesar's what is Caesar's. In other words, give back to the pagan king his pagan idolatrous money. See, as as God-fearing Jews, they're not supposed to have had this, this money anyway. And so there's no way here, is there, that the Roman sympathizers could be upset. Jesus is saying, give to Caesar's what Caesar's. And yet Jesus is also very clearly showing his allegiance to God. For he goes on to say, and to God what is God. Uh, there's no way here in which the, the Jewish patriots or the Jewish zealots could be upset with this. They shouldn't have been keeping the denarius anyway. It's idolatrous. It's an offensive coin. And on top of that, Jesus is saying, give to God's what's God's. A question you might be asking then as we work our way through this passage, is this passage then mainly about taxation law? And I want you to see this morning that I don't think it is. Rather, I think that what's on view here 
for Mark, our gospel author, is that he wants us to see the wisdom of King Jesus. He wants us to see Jesus' mastery of the, the political sphere and of the theological sphere. Here's my guess, is that the Pharisees and the Herodians, they spent a few hours before this encounter with Jesus, working out the very best question to try and ask him, to trick him. I reckon they probably got together and workshopped it. What do we ask? And finally they settled on this question because they thought it was a clangor. They thought there was no way that he could answer this question properly. It seemed to them a question that no matter what way Jesus answered, they had him trapped. But here we see his mastery at work. He's disarmed their trap. And in doing so, Mark is showing us something about this person, Jesus. Jesus is a wise king. And that makes, us a, that makes him a king that we can follow with confidence. And that, I think, is probably the big idea in this passage. Now, you might want to say, hang on, because if you've been around at church for a while, there's probably a pretty good chance that you've heard this passage preached and being taught about as a way to encourage us to go and pay our fair share of tax to our local government. And maybe, just maybe, you didn't vote for our current government, and maybe you don't like paying taxes, and maybe you think, hey, this is a pretty good excuse not to put your tax return in this year. But before you get too excited... I do want to say, yes, I don't think that's the big idea in the passage, but I do want you to see that the Bible as a whole has much to say about respecting and honouring our authorities and indeed even paying our tax. Two passages to help you see that. Uh, the first is 1 Peter chapter 2. You might like to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Here the Apostle Peter is speaking about what it means to live in a pagan society and he says in verse 13, "'Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority.'" whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are set by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. So here in 1 Peter we see a clear instruction to submit to the ruling authorities, both the, the supreme authorities and to those who their power has been delegated to. And I take it that uh, would also mean that we would pay our taxes as we should. But if you want further clarification on that, then uh, we see that exactly in Romans chapter 13. One more passage to flick to, Romans chapter 13. In verse 1, Paul the Apostle here says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And Paul will go on the next few verses to speak about what that means, but then come down to verse 6 of Romans chapter 13. Here's where the rubber really hits the road in terms of this topic. Verse 6 says, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. So let me be as clear as I can. When we consider Romans 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2, it's crystal clear, isn't it, that the biblical imperative for Christians today is to respect and honour our governing authorities. And Paul tells us that the authorities have been established by God, so to rebel against them is to rebel against God. And so, 
we should pay our fair share of tax, whatever that might be. Respect and honour our governments. That's, I think, a clear biblical instruction. And yet, I don't think that's the thrust of Mark chapter 12. Rather, I think what Mark is trying to do with the passage that we've been looking at today is to show us the wisdom of King Jesus. He's trying to show us the untrappability, if that's a word, and the untrappability of Jesus. He's, he's trying to show us his mastery over the way in which the world works. So here's a man in the person of Jesus who, despite the best efforts of the Pharisees and the Herodians, well, he's able to answer their presumably unanswerable question. In Mark 11, Jesus comes into Jerusalem as a king. Remember, he comes in riding on a colt and the people lie in the streets with their cloaks. Here we see the wisdom of that king. Here we see his mastery in the political arena. He knows what the religious leaders are trying to do and he has all the right answers. Last week, Kendra took us through the parable of the tenants. That, that parable showed us why the religious leaders were getting so agitated. And at the end of that parable, Jesus quotes from Psalm 118. He says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. You know what a cornerstone is? It's that, that brick or that stone on the side of the building of which the rest of the building takes its shape. And here we see part of the reason why Jesus is that cornerstone. We see his unflappable wisdom, his command of the world around him, and his mastery of the situation. So if these verses are not about paying your fair share of tax, what do we take away from this passage today? And here's what I want, to take you, take, here's what I want you to take away today. I want you to go home from this passage with trust and assurance and confidence. See, our world can be a pretty uncertain place. Remember our linked scam that I nearly fell for? There probably are others that you've been close to falling through. We live in a world where there's much uncertainty. And so I ask you at the start of 2023, the start of this year, who are you going to trust this year? Who will you turn to for wisdom? Now, I'm not here thinking about the small things in life, like what are you going to eat for breakfast or what are you going to wear to work. I'm thinking about the very big questions. Who will guide your life in 2023? Who will you follow? What will your life be about? And there are lots of options to choose from in our society and in our culture today. We've got online influencers and media personalities and sports stars and lifestyle coaches and a whole host of people who we might look to to find answers to in life. But here in Mark's Gospel in chapter 12, we've got a wonderful reason and a wonderful encouragement to turn to the person of Jesus because Mark shows us that this is God's true king the one with real wisdom and real insight. He knows how his world works. And so when you sit back and you think about the big questions in life, what am I going to do? What am I supposed to do? What sort of a person should I be? Who should I build my life upon? I hope you can see here a great answer in the person of Jesus. 
Like he is God's king, untrappable, wise, insightful, commanding, the master of the situation. Here in Mark's gospel, that king is speaking about salvation and judgment. That's what the chapter's about. And in a sense, he's saying, will you follow me? And my encouragement for you as this year gets underway is to keep looking to God's wise king, to keep seeking Jesus, to keep listening to him, and to keep being amazed by him and his wisdom. And I pray that we do that as a church. Father, we thank you for this passage in Mark's gospel that shows us the wisdom of King Jesus and his mastery of the situation. In a way, we know that we shouldn't be surprised by this, knowing that this is your world and that you're in control of it, that you're sovereign over all things, and therefore it's no surprise that you are wise in this way. And yet with so many other people and things to turn to, so many things that compete for attention in this world, we pray that through your Spirit you would help us to keep looking to the person of Jesus and to keep following him this year. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.